أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله الأمين محمد بن عبد الله وآله وصحبه وسلم ربي أدخلنا مدخل صدق وأخرجنا مخرج صدق وجعلنا من لدنك سلطان النصير جاء الحق وزهق الباطل إن الباطل كان زهوقا ربنا اجعل جمعنا هذا جمع مباركا مرحوما واجعل لهم تفرقنا من بعده تفرق معصوما ورثنا مفينا ولا معنا ولا منا شقين ولا محرومة وصل لهم على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتح بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين يا كنعبد يا كنستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين نعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العودة من لساني يفقه قولي رب أدعنا نشكر نعمتك التي نعمت علي وعلى والدي ونعمل صالحا ترضاه وأصلح لي في ذريتي إني تبت إليك وإني من المسلمين. I was in عقيقة so please forgive me. إسماعيل from مكة to مدينة have a new son. الحمد لله رب العالمين called Zaid and because these convert Muslims they need support they need help. So I had to go and then to initiate عقيقة for them and do a talk about Islam and the importance of عقيقة and then I Come just home and then I came here, inshallah. Uh, last week we spoke about the main hijrah from Mecca to Medina, the migration of Rasulullah, his journey himself with Abu Bakr Siddiq, and the initiation of the establishment of the state of Islam by his presence within this beautiful city, which was called Yathrib, and by his presence. Al-Madina Al-Munawwara. Now today, inshallah, what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about Medina itself. Before we begin to talk about what took place while the Prophet was present in it, I want to talk about Medina. I want to talk about the people of Medina. I want to talk about the geography of Medina. I want to talk about the business of Medina. Why Medina? Why Medina? It is very, very important to know that so that inshallah when we study okay, the life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam beginning from next week in the 10 years of Medina until he, he comes back to Mecca for the conquest and then he goes back and he passes away and returns to his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala then we can understand the journey properly. Now the main people of Medina and I want you to understand Medina is north of Mecca. Medina falls between Jerusalem up north and Mecca in the south. Medina was a station for people who were traveling to do business uh, in Sham, okay, that is in Syria, and the surrounding areas, and mainly Busra in Sham and or Gaza in Palestine today. This is where the business was done uh, because of the link to Europe at that time, and the link of the Persian in the area. Now, the journeys used to travel from the south, coming from Yemen, going through Medina, and the Meccan people will join them, and they go forth to the north, and when they are coming from the north down to the south, Medina was a station. And we talked about it earlier on in the life of Hashim, the grandfather of Rasulullah, who was buried in... Um, uh, the Palestinian area of Gaza today and 
Abdullahi, the father of Sayyidina Muhammad who is married also in Medina. So, the people of Medina originally, okay, are many tribes of Arabs living there, but living in small little villages. But when the Prophet moved into it, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the main people who were living there, which we later on call the Ansar, are the Aus and Khazraj, the two tribes, Al-Aus and Khazraj. Living with them, the Jews, some Christians, but mainly the Jews. Uh, the Jews were known because they moved from the north and they went up to Yemen. And today, even today you find Jews living in Yemen. Okay, The Jews traveled everywhere. Every time they settle, there will be a trouble with them and they will be driven away from their land. And this is the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in the year 70, after the birth of Christ, Isa alayhi salam, the Jews had troubles in their land, in the north. They had a lot of troubles. Bani Israel were having a lot of fights with different groups, but then the Romans managed to destroy them and drive them away. Some went further north, some went to the west, okay? Went to Iran, found a lot of Jewish in Iran, in Russia. And many of them started moving back until they went to Yemen. Settled there for a long time, but then two or three main tribes came and settled in the area of Medina. Now, what made them really move is the destruction of the temple. When the temple is destroyed, they couldn't settle there, especially in the area of Al-Qus and its surrounding. Among those tribes who were settled in Medina, the main tribe and the richest tribe of the Jews called Qinaqa'a. Qinaqa'a or Bani Qinaqa'a. And then we have Al-Nadir or Bani Al-Nadir as mentioned in the Quran. Okay, in the Tafasir as well. And then Quraidha, Bani Quraidha. So you have got Qinaqa'a and Nadir and Quraidha. Or as we call them, the children of the children of the children of Qinaqa' Bani Qinaqa' the children of okay Al Nadir Bani Nadir and the children of Quraidha Bani Quraidha. These are the three main tribes. The richest of those was Qinaqa'. We can't be assured how many people were there, although the historian wrote a lot, <coughs> and Allah blessed the Muslim historians. They were so good at calculating numbers, estimating them, by looking at the number of fighters in battles, because they were always recorded. The poets will record the number of fighters in the battles. Okay? And then in the literature as well. And when you look at the history of the Jewish people themselves, and you look at the history of the Arabs, about the Jews who lived in the Arabian Peninsula, you find almost similarity. But the Arabic writing is more accurate. And they say... In the three tribes, the number of fighters who used to fight, just over 2,000 fighters. And that tells you, yani maybe among them, there might be around 10 okay, to 12,000 people living, Jews in Medina. Okay? And that's a big number for that time. And they were well established, and I will talk about that in details. 
And the relationship between them was not really a good relationship. And by the way, even today, when you look at the Jewish state and the Jewish people around the world, they seem to be one unit. But there's a lot of division. Just like what we have in Islam, just like what the Christians have. It is all to do with the interpretation of their messengers and what they brought to them. And this is what we need to understand. That usually in religion, people differ not because of the religion itself, but it differs. The differences or the difference between them come because of their own interpretation of what is being revealed to them. Okay? However, Qinaqa as a tribe was disliked by Bani Quraida and Bani Nadir. And they had a lot of trouble with them. In fact, in some times, reported that they will come together to fight them. Alaykum assalam wa Okay? Alaykum assalam. Okay? They will come together to fight Qinaqa. And the fighting usually because of disputes regarding their inclinations, their followings, okay? The misunderstandings that used to take between them. Allah said about this in the Quran. And the scholars wrote a lot about it, like Ibn Kathir, because they looked into the history and they wrote about it from the point of view of Allah telling us the story himself. Not us bringing it and somebody else saying that we as Muslims are putting these things which they should not be there. No. Okay? Allah says in the Quran, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإذ أخذنا ميثاقكم لا تسفكون دماءكم ولا تخرجون أنفسكم من دياركم ثم أقررتم وأنتم تشهدون ثم أنتم هؤلاء تقتلون أنفسكم وتخرجون فريقا منكم من ديارهم تظاهرون عليهم بالإثم والعدوان ويأتوكم أسارا تفادوهم وهو محرم عليكم إخراجهم This verse in Surah Al-Baqarah for those who want to go and reflect verse come in please or close the door I think we need to get a key. Astaghfirullahaladzim. <laughs> okay, this is 84, Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah says, I will translate, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim. And when we made a covenant with you, meaning here, the Jews, children of Israel, let us fikuna dima'akum, you should not spill blood of one another. And do not expel one another from their homes. You agreed to this covenant. And you were witnesses to the agreement being made with your prophet. However, today, you still fight one another. Destroying each other. Spilling blood. And some of you are expelling one another from their homes. 
you show animosity towards one another and you treat one another as enemy and carry enmity in your heart toward them. And this is forbidden for you. Killing and expelling. Now this is happening all over the place. But among the people themselves, it's not acceptable. It's what Allah SWT is trying to tell us. Among the people themselves, you can't do that. You can't fight. Because you need one another. You have got the same face. You have got the same blood. You have got the same understanding, background, culture. You should not do this. But they were doing. And this is, in fact, talking to Bani Nadir. Okay? Fighting. Okay? Qinaqa. And trying to destroy them and remove them. Qinaqa, the tribe used to live inside Medina. And Medina, by the way, was not really a small little town when the Prophet moved into it. Mecca was a known city. It's almost a city like Mecca, but smaller in size. And Qinaqa were living inside because they were merchants. And they were very, very rich people, so they were living inside. And also because the other two tribes were fighting them most of the time. So they happened to live, especially closer to Al-Khazraj. And they used to fight sometime with them. There was an understanding between them. Okay? The three tribes of the Jews were people of knowledge, religious, understood knowledge very well. They used to have places of worship that they worship in. They used to be clear about leadership, management. They were well organized. And subhanAllah, it is described by all the historians that they have places whereby they will meet and they will discuss their issues in a way different than the people of Mecca. Okay? Because they were closer to the religious understanding okay closer to most of the prophets in mecca people were distant that's why the idols were more important than thinking about the heaven and the messengers okay who came before them the people of the jewish community were known to be very spiritual but yet they were orientated towards making the dunya or building this world Business-wise, they were trying their best to make something out of what they have in the time. We're also known in the area by building like what we call today Darul Ulum, the schools of Quran, okay? And they call it Midras. In Arabic, Madrasa, and in their language, they call it Midras. And subhanAllah, because they lived in the Arabic area a long time, they spoke the Arabic, but with an accent. Or not of the Arab. Even today, when you meet Jews who are living in the Arab world, they speak Arabic, but with an accent. You know that they are Jews. They use Hebrew for their worship. Okay? In the Madras, when they meet, or they, as they call it today, the synagogue, okay, they will use the language of Hebrew. Okay? This Madras is not just also for teaching the Torah and consulting okay, on the teaching of the prophets before, but also it's like a place of mashwara, 
consultation. They will meet there to consult and discuss, just like Dar al Nadwa in Mecca for Quraysh. But that was different. That was more tribal than religious place of understanding. And it is the place whereby they will meet with the rabbis, okay, to worship in all the kind of acts of worship. Okay. What is their business? Medina is known because of the fertile land and the oasis and the water and the dates, okay? And even wheat was grown in that area. So they used to work in agriculture and they used to also work in industry of making leather and textile and jewelry. And I will explain this in a minute because at that time, a lot of the goods that goes to the north was not really coming from Yemen. It was coming from Medina itself, exported by those Jewish tribe to their people in the north. Okay. Now, what about the people of the area from the Arabs? There were Al-Aws, Al-Khazraj, and other smaller tribes. However, some Arabs also became Jewish. They embraced religion by their freedom. They realized that they needed something. They could not agree with the people of Mecca and the worship of the idols. And by the way, there is not one single historical record that the people of Medina initiated the worship of the idols or have their own idols. Never. The idols that worshipped in Medina were the idols of Mecca. And mainly one. Mainly one. Some historians say two, but mainly one. So when they made an idol at home, they will make only of the one. They will not make many. But in Mecca, there were too many. Too many idols. Okay? There are four or five big ones, but everybody can make an idol and give him a name, and that's it. was a natural thing for the people of Mecca. Okay? However, some people embraced the religion by a strange way. Okay? By marrying a Jewish woman, then the child automatically becomes Jewish. Or sometimes, a mother who cannot give children or give birth to children, she will make a nether. She will make a promise to Allah. Oh Allah, if you will give me a child, I'll make sure that he will become Jewish. So when the child is born, she has no way but to fulfill what she promised. Just like Mary, her mother promised, if Allah will give her a child, she will send him to the temple. And when she was born as a girl, she questioned herself. Oh Allah, I promised you, but I have a girl. Okay? This is in the Quran. Now, so, some people became Jewish through that way. Another way that a lot of the Arabs were interacting in business, okay, with the Jews at that time, and becoming very close to their culture and understanding their ways. And somehow, because of that, they embraced the religion and became. And there are many of them recorded from the Arabs as Jewish, and many of them later on, when Sayyidina Muhammad came to Medina, came and put themselves forward, and they said they were looking for the truth, and they became Muslims. 
many of them, okay, in the history. Also, another way of becoming Jewish, if a woman gives birth to children and they die, she will promise Allah, if you allow one to live, he can enter into Judaism. And they enter that way. But subhanAllah, their presence in Arabia, if they were really there to spread their religion, they could have converted all Arabia before Islam. But all the historians, especially the Jewish historians, they said their main focus were establishing themselves and building their community and sustaining their businesses. That's the main thing. As long as they can have that, anything else is not important. They had never sustained a da'wah, calling people to the faith. Never. That is not their interest. Their interest is just the business. If they can benefit from you, business-wise, fine. But they will not do. The Christian will do da'wah, the Muslims will do da'wah, but the Jews will not do da'wah. Even today, they will not do da'wah. They will not invite you to the faith. Okay? But that's, that is the way they were. Other than them living, as I said, Al-Aws wal-Khazraj. Al-Aws wal-Khazraj, two tribes originated from Yemen. Traveled for business to the north and slowly, slowly began to settle in the area of Medina. In fact, in the history, when you read properly and look into both sides of the histories that is written by the Jewish historians and the Muslim historians, they both agree that they were newer than the Jewish community in Medina. Both of them. There are other Arab tribes, small tribes, many, because there are too many villages. But the main big tribe, Al-Aws al-Khazraj, they came from Yemen and they came late. After those Jewish tribes settled there. Okay? And they migrated from Yemen for many different reasons. Just like why we migrate today from the world. But the main reason is that they had a lot of difficulties and troubles with sustaining life because of droughts. And if you look today, in the Arab world, some of the most successful people of business are from Yemen, especially from Hadramut, the Hadarim, where Habib Umar, Habib Ali come from. In fact, if you go to Saudi Arabia, the richest of businessmen are Hadarim, Bin Laden, Hadarim, okay? Bin Khashab, or Ba Khashab, Hadarim. Okay, by Sheikh, Hadarim, if you go to, all of them, all, if you go to Jeddah, go to Riyadh, all those people are from Yemen. And even if you travel to the other Arab countries, you find their names are quite huge. They are very successful in doing business. So when they could not make ends meet in their land, they migrated and they moved to the area of Medina, okay, to have that kind of life they can sustain because they can't sit doing nothing. One big reason that really moved those big tribes from Yemen is when the Abyssinian invaded Abraha. When Abraha invaded Yemen, because many people think Abraha is from Yemen. Abraha is not yet an Arab. Abraha is Abyssinian. And he's from the tribe of Habash. Habash is a tribe, okay, which live in Ethiopia, part of Eritrea, and part of East Sudan. This is Habash, okay? And they have got their own culture and language. Okay? And the Negus was from the Habash. Okay? And 
Subhanallah, when the Abyssinian took Yemen and Abraha controlled, some of the big tribes could not sustain themselves there, so they moved. Okay. And that made their movement easier to go and settle in Medina and stay there. Al Khazraj, they lived around the area of the mosque of Rasulullah today. If you go around the mosque today, all these areas around the mosque initially used to be for the Khazraj community. However, the Aus used to live outside. They were more into farming. Okay? And why the Khazraj were closer to Bani Qinaqa because they were into manufacturing. Okay? And they were together. In fact, they used to fight with them sometimes. They were so close together. Okay. And like city dwellers living together. Both al Aus al Khazraj used to link themselves with Mecca because of the way because of the worship, because of the idols that they used to worship, and also because of the business that they used to do together with the people of Mecca. Mecca was a very, very important city in their time because most of the business and the rich business people were in Mecca rather than in Medina. Okay? How many people were in al Aus al Khazraj, the population of those people? The same way the historian could not put a figure. But when you look at the tafsir of the Quran, they say when the Prophet ﷺ opened Mecca in the conquest of Mecca, the number of the Ansar from the Aus and the Khazraj in the army at that time were 4,000. And from that you can think, okay? 4,000 fighters from their two families. When you add the rest, women and children, right? So the number could be maybe anything between eight to 10,000, they say. Maybe more, but roughly they say this is the total number of the tribe. Linking it back to the day of Ba'ith. The day of Ba'ith is five years before the Prophet ﷺ migrated, whereby there was a terrible war. They say there was nothing like it before between the Aus and the Khazraj. And in fact, one tribe wiped out a tribe and they returned back to their place and they built their homes. The other tribe went and gathered and built itself and came back. And this was happening again and again and again until they destroyed almost one another. And then they came to peace. And at the end we can talk about how the Prophet ﷺ made peace between them. Okay? And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses that in the Holy Quran. And if you look at the nature, okay, or the geography of the area, it's absolutely beautiful. I don't know when you go to Umrah, or if you went to Umrah, okay, and then or Hajj, and you went to Medina, and get a chance to travel around. If you didn't, go and travel. Don't just stay in the Haram and there. Just drive out. Let them drive you out. Let them drive you to Badr. Let them drive you, okay? Now, Uhud is inside now. 
It used to be a little bit outside, but now it is inside. But if you better take hours to get outside. But if you travel outside, it's so beautiful. Really, it's one of the nicest areas to visit. Okay, and you could see any, the gardens of dates. Okay, beautiful. The oasis where the water is and the camels. And it's a beautiful area. That's why they chose to settle in it. Okay, the Aus and the Khadraj and also the Jews who came to live in that area. It is an agricultural area by nature. It's very, very fertile. And it has two areas. You have the farms. And as I said last time, Medina is surrounded, okay, three sides by palm trees in the olden days. Like that. So subhanallah, when the Prophet fought the battle of the ditch, Al-Ahzab, he only have to dig one side, the northern side. But the others, east and west and the south, was covered by okay, the palm trees. Now, the other side was where their worship places, their markets, their homes, and this is surrounded by huge walls. So when you look at the Chinese walls, when you look at the, uh, even the Islamic wall that built by the Turkish Empire, all this is learned from before. People used to build huge walls, sometimes many meters wide, many meters high, to defend themselves. So if there is any attack, because the attack used to be either by horses, camels, bows and arrows, and nah, so people go inside, they can't reach them. And if they try to come, they will shoot them from a distance by bows or by arrows, you see. So this is something that we need to think about. And we say Medina or Yathrib. What, how was it? Just one area whereby these many tribes living together? No. All of them were living in different areas, different little tribes. Okay? Small villages. And the Quran, in fact, agree with this. Allah said in the Quran, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ما أفاء الله على رسوله من أهل القرى ما أفاء الله على رسوله من أهل القرى That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed his messenger regarding the people of the villages. Which villages? The villages, okay, of Medina. Or that made, constituted, the Medina the Prophet ﷺ built. لا يقاتلونكم جميعا إلا في قرى محصنة أو من وراء جدر. They will never fight you. Okay? All together. Only in their villages that are well defended. Or from behind their high secured fences. It's what Allah is telling the Prophet ﷺ regarding those people who were living in that area at the time. And here, he was talking about the three tribes of the Jews. Okay? This is something that you need to think about. When we look at their condition of the religious status that they had, whether they're the Arabs or the Jews, you find there is a lot of similarity between them. And we can take this further. You look at the Arab, 
the Aus and the Khazraj and the smaller tribes, they were all following the Quraysh. Quraysh was stronger. Quraysh was able to control because they have the house. They have Zamzam. And they have the pilgrimage, Hajj. And Quraysh was known and understood to be يعني, the people of the time for spirituality for the people of the Arabs. So for no other way but linking with their people, the Arabs. So from Medina they used to go to Hajj and to link with their idols and worship. But al Aws al-Khazraj took only one of the gods, Manat. They have Al-Lat, Wal-Uzza, Wal-Manat. So, before Sayyidina Muhammad brought Islam to them, their god that they used to worship, they used to call Manat. He was not really situated in the Mecca itself. The main body of this idol was to the shore of the sea, the Red Sea. Okay? So, when they are traveling, they will come to it first, and then they will enter into Mecca to go to the Kaaba, to do their worship. And because they used to go to him first, when they come to Mecca, one of the rituals of Hajj is to do Sa'i between Safa and Marwa. So they used to find it difficult to do that because they feel they shouldn't give any homage to these two little hills or mountains as a ritual. Even when they became Muslims and they used to come to do the number of Hajj, and they told the Prophet the Prophet said to them, Allah had instructed. And there is a verse in the Quran which Allah revealed. In the Safa wal Marwa, min Allah. Indeed, the Safa and the Marwa are a part okay, of the duties that are made compulsory for you to perform your Hajj or your Umrah. You must. Otherwise, they were finding it difficult. Still inclined towards the worship of their idols. Okay? The people of At-Taif, their main idol in Mecca was Al-Lat. And the people of Mecca, they worshipped Al-Uzza. Okay? So, I find a lot of the children in Mecca at that time okay, are called Abdul-Uzza. Okay? A lot of them. But they say, if you go to Medina at the time, if anybody wants to make an idol, because they were not idol worshippers, because they were close to the Jews and the Christian, and when they go to Sham, they see people worshipping the God, that Mecca people are supposed to worship alone, but they were linking it through the idols, the people of Medina, they will make a statue from wood or from okay, clay, but it will be the statue of Manat. They will not make their own. So they say, subhanAllah, it's the wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to choose them to come to Prophet Muhammad sallam, to impress the religion and become the Muslims. Because they were pure inside. They were clean. They were not like the people of Mecca. Okay? The Prophet also found them, Al-Aws Al-Khadraj, having two Eid. Eidain. Okay? The first Eid that they used to have is called Nairuz. And you know today who celebrates Nairuz? Nairuz. Okay? Nairuz. Nairuz it's celebrated today in Persia. It's an old festival done by the worshippers of the fire. Just like the people uh, among the Christians here who say that 
Christmas come from before Christ. Something to do with the pagan religion. So Nairuz is from that, to do with the fire. And they have another one called Maharajan, also Persian. So the Prophet ﷺ changes. And we have this evidence from the hadith of Rasulullah ﷺ. Okay? Reported, قال رسول الله ﷺ, what? قَدْ أَبْدَلَكُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بِهِمَا خَيْرًا مِنْهُمَا يَوْمَ الْفِطْرِ وَالْأَضْحَى Okay? This is reported by Bukhari and Muslim. In the Sahih. The Prophet Sallam says, because I'm saying this and linking it for us to learn something for us today, because sometimes when we are celebrating for them Miladun Nabi, or celebrating any extra celebration in Islam, like Ashura, Ashura we take something out of it, and we fast a day, and, and we meet together and do some readings, or Laylatul uh, Bara'a, okay? Or Isra al Mi'raj, people say, there is only two Eids. Because the Prophet says so. This is not for us. The Prophet said this to the people of Medina, Al-Aws Wal-Khadraj at the time because okay, they were doing it out of their own choice rather than being initiated by a Prophet or a Messenger from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So here, what did he say to them? Literally, قَدْ أَبْدَلَكُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بِهِمَا Allah has exchanged them for you okay, خَيْرًا مِنْهُمَا with something better than them, Yomul Fitr, the day of breaking your fast of Ramadan, Wal Adha, the day of sacrifice after Hajj. Okay? Now, there is a strange, funny thing about the relationship between Mecca and Medina at that time, or Yathrib as they used to call it. The Arabs of Medina, Al Aws Wal Khazraj, are known to be noble people. And this is something important to know. The Prophet said, Allahumma barik lana fi Yemenina. Oh Allah, bless Yemen for us. Or bless our Yemen for us. They say, because the people of Yemen among the Arabs are noble people. And literally the people of Mecca used to adhere to this fact and realize those people are noble blood. They come from very good lineage. So when one of them wants to marry, his son to a good blood, they will usually choose to marry their daughters or their sons to daughters from Medina. And you could see this when Hashim married from Medina, from Bani Najjar. He married a woman called Salma. Okay? And she became a grandmother of the Prophet of And, subhanAllah, later on, and Hashim, as I said at the beginning of the Sira, was buried in Gaza. Because he used to do his business. But later on, where does the mother of Rasulullah come from? From Ben Najjar. In fact, the Arabs sing about Ben Najjar because they say they were the most handsome men, the more attractive women, the more courageous, the more generous. You see? So Abdullahi, the father of Rasulullah, married Amina bin Tuham from Ben Najjar from Medina. And that's the idea. So the people of Mecca used to agree that the people of Medina and al Khazraj were noble people. But on the other side, because of their status of business and uh, uh, their relationship with the gods uh, and the status of Mecca, having the Haram and the Hajj and people come from all over the place, they used to look at the people of Medina because they were farmers among the Osul and the Khazraj mainly, 
فشل ذا اوس از لو جست لايك توداي ان ذا ثيرد وورلد اف يو ار ا فارما يو كونسيدر تو بي سمبودي هو دونت هاف اني ثينج فارمين واز كونسيدرد ا جوب فور ذا بور وذا يو اون ذا لاند كالتيفيت ذا لاند ميك مليون اوت اوف ات يو ار بور بيرسون ا بيرسون هو از ريتش ان ذير ايد ذا وان هو اون ذا كاتلز اور ذا كاملز اوكي اف يو هاف ذا لايف ستوك يو ار ريتش other than that you are not rich so what if you are waiting for the rain or waiting for the water to cultivate your land you are not rich so this is the way Meccan people used to look down at the people of Medina among the Aus and the Khadraj okay this can be seen clearly when we talk about it later but I'm just going to give you a glimpse here at the battle of Badr when the Mushrikeen came led by Abu Sufyan, a thousand men or more, and this is fighting people from their tribes <coughs> in Mecca. <coughs> the Ansar and the Muhajir of the Prophet Sallam, there were 300 plus, maybe 313 there, as I said. <laughs> so they stood, and usually their idea, they would send few men to begin the battle. They fight one another. And subhanAllah, the Ansar, because they were supporting the Prophet Sallam, They said to the Muhajirin, we will send our men to fight those. Because many of the Muhajirun from Mecca, the people who are they're going to fight either their fathers or brothers or uncles or cousins. It was hard. So who came out okay, to fight? Udba ibn Rabi'ah, very famous. Ushayba ibn Rabi'ah. Walid, this is coming from the Meccan side. Stood out to fight. Few men from the Ansar, unknown, these are well-known men in Mecca for battles, came out to fight them. Udba and his friend asked them, who are you? We're not going to fight anybody. We need to fight men of Kalaba. We don't want to just be killed and our blood okay, is wasted with people who have got no position in battle. They said, Rahtum min al-Ansar. We are just okay, members of the Ansar of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They said, we have got nothing to do with you. We are not here to fight you. We came to fight Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They wanted the Meccan children who left them to come to find them, because they know they were fighters. Among them, they were strong men, like Hamza. You see, they wanted them to come out. Okay? Okay. One of them called loudly, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay? Akhrij ilayna, akhrij ilayna akifa'ana. Bring out for us those who are equivalent to us. Those who can really Stand up and fight us because we are men, stronger men, men of position and place, men of honor and dignity. Who are these? We're not fighting these poor farmers. Bring out the men. If you have any men, and they know whom they were talking about. Okay. So, subhanAllah, Rasulullah called. Qum ya Ubaid ibn al-Harith. Ubaid ibn al-Harith is well known. 
And when you go and read, and I think one of the most important things I can tell you, because this can take years to study every personality, everything. There are too many. If just the number of people who fought with the Prophet in the conquest of Mecca from the Muhajirin, from the Ansar, were 4,000, and there were 10,000, 6,000 from the, from the Muhajirin, and you, you can read about everybody. That is written, by the way. There are very good books to find, and they don't write really, they give you the facts. Beautiful to read, okay? And if you find them, I hope inshallah some of them will be translated in English, okay? But they're a good book, like Asad al-Ghaba, for example. It has got some beautiful stories. And there are others, okay? Huliyat al-Awliya. I find it the most interesting. Huliyat al-Awliya. Okay, the collection of the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking them from Abu Bakr Siddiq and coming down. And the women, companions, all of them. But it is giving abbreviation. Some of them is longer, giving you more details than the stories. But some of them are very short. But it's important to know. Okay? قُمْ يَا عُبَيْدَ إِبْنِ الْحَارِثَ Rasulullah sallam called upon him. Number one. وَقُمْ يَا حَمْزَ إِبْنِ عَبْدَ الْمُطَّلِّبِ And come out, oh Hamza. They know who Hamza is. وَقُمْ يَا عَلِي إِبْنِ أَبِي طَالِبِ And he was the youngest. And come out, oh Ali. And you knew what happened in that battle. And inshallah, we'll talk about it in the time. Okay? And I wanted to think at this moment of time here, when we talk about something like that, the Prophet did not go out to find them. They came to him. They came to him. When Ali ibn Abi Talib, Ushayb ibn al-Haritha, and Hamdan, they came closer to them, and they looked at them. Okay? What did they say? Who are you? Each one of them said his name. And loudly their caller says, Naam akifa. Yes, indeed, these are equal to us. Now we can fight them. And if, indeed they did. And they managed to defeat them because of their arrogance. Okay? All this because of the reason of looking at the other with the eye of ridicule. Okay? The eye of discrimination. Why don't they fight the people of Medina? Because they are farmers. And this is a very, very sad thing. And still, these diseases are here today. We have them. You are discriminated against for many reasons. Might be your language, might be your color, might be your culture, might be your physical build, whatever it is, which is sad. We shouldn't judge people by their appearances or their looks or their position. Because Allah only judges people through their behavior and their hearts. Okay? And the last thing I'm going to talk about tonight is the economical situation of Medina. So that later on when we enter into the seerah, what the Prophet did with his companion, you could see how much the Prophet delivered seriously as a leader. Wallah, Allah is my witness. There is no leader like Muhammad. There is no leader like him. In every field. He was the emperor. He was the king. He was the prince. He was the president. He was the prime minister. He was the minister of every field, from defense to social security. Every field, he was excelling. No leader like Muhammad Sallallahu 
And therefore, when people say Muhammad وسلم, is just like all of us, they're talking nonsense. Never accept that. Never accept that. Take it from me. Okay? The main production of Medina when it comes to agriculture, two things. Date was, was the most important thing. Date was the crop of Medina, even today. Everybody would love to have the date of Medina. But people don't understand. It's not really one variety of date. I come from a land of date in the north of Sudan, and we have 23 varieties. Medina have got too many varieties. Too many. Seriously. Yani, this date you see and you are having eye, this is one date. I promise you there is some dates maybe as long as that. Okay? About at least three inches. One date could be a breakfast for you. <laughs> a meal. Yeah? So, it's So the date, the date was, mashallah, an important part of the diet. Okay? And grapes. Grapes were also very important. Those two things were the main crops which were produced by the farmers of Medina, mainly from the Aus and some of the Khazarid, but mainly from the Aus people and from the Jewish community. Okay? Bani Nadir. They were living outside because Qainaqa was in the industrial side of it. Okay? But subhanAllah, if you look at this date tree, from it, they get the date. From the date, they make vinegar. From the date, they make like jam, okay, to eat with their food. From the date tree, they manufacture and make their rugs to sit on, to make roofs for their homes. In fact, the Prophet Moth was only covered by palm tree leaves and wood. And the trunk of the tree is used, okay, as wood. They cut it, okay, to build from it whatever else they need for their doors, for their, okay, roofs, when they're building their roofs. Okay, they use it that way. And mainly for their weapons as well. Bows and arrows, whatever. This is what they used to use. And also for fire. For their fire, energy. Okay, and food for their animals. So this one tree. That's, that's what happened. If you travel today in north of Sudan, the only tree you see is this tree. But they live from that tree. The next thing to it is the animals. Because from the animals, they can have the skin. Okay, they can have the hair. They can have the milk. And from the milk, they make all the different things. Yogurt. Okay, and they make uh, what we call salmon, which ghee in Urdu. Okay, all this comes from the milk. So, what else do you need? Remembering, Subhanallah, the Prophet Sallallahu diet for a day consists of the following. I would like to sit with me for a minute. Look at what you fight for and get angry about when your wife does not cook for you or your mother, or when there is no meat cooked or there is no fire lit. And look at your Prophet the most noblest man to walk on this earth and what he used to eat if we're talking about the crops of Medina. In his breakfast, sallallahu alayhi wa he will begin by having a glass of water with honey. Sipped in three sips, maybe as much as that, maybe less than that, 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بيجسب تي صوت الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم and he will drink the rest of it to the end الحمد لله رب العالمين once he did that صلى الله عليه وسلم he will have a glass of milk and they used to mainly drink camel milk and it's very good milk سبحان الله the camel milk he drink with seven dates or nine dates in the sunnah in the medicine of the Prophet the hadith says whosoever is seven dates in the morning no person will be able to harm them by a bad eye some people might say what are you talking about this is this is yes just nonsense talk but the Quran says to Sayyidina Muhammad أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ فَلَمَّ يَزْلِقُونَكَ بِأَبْصَارِهِمْ Talking about the kuffar when they used to come and sit with him looking to him from top to toe. When they look at you, O Muhammad, and they are staring at you from top to toe, be wary. They are not aware, but there is harm in their looks. Only higher than them in the harm are those who are intending the harm for you, the envious ones. Who, through their envy, they are looking at you and they think, who, who, who is he? Why is he better than us? Why should he have that? And they wish the ni'mah Allah has given to you to be wiped away. This is the hasid, the envious. But the one who have got a bad eye is similar, but he doesn't know. These are two diseases. And it can cause you a lot of harm. Believe me. Somebody could give you an eye and kill you. Rasulullah said in the hadith, Al-Ainu Haqq. The eye is true. So don't doubt it. And you need to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from the eye. Really, ask Allah to protect you from the eye. So Muhammad sallam ate seven dates for that reason. If you eat nine dates, and it's what I do in the morning. Okay, I eat nine. Not just the eye, but even the envy of the envious and the magic of the magician will be wiped away. Just eating nine deaths. One of the scholars I know, he says, Subhanallah, when you eat date, Allah will put around you an aura that nobody can see. But all the evil in the world from the evil humans or the jinn or other creatures will be able to notice it. As if to say, keep away. Don't touch this person. Yeah? Very, very important to think of this. So this is the breakfast of Rasulullah a glass of water with honey, sipped in three sips. Every sip, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim at the beginning. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen at the end. Seven dates, or nine, and a glass of milk. If tomorrow morning, your wife, your sister, your mother put that for you, say, excuse me, where is the eggs? <laughs> for goodness sake. <laughs> where is the porridge? <laughs> where is the toast? Okay? Yeah, from the hadith. Both from the hadith. Now, subhanallah, then, the lunch of Rasulullah His lunch, sallallahu alayhi is so simple you cannot believe it. Olive oil, garnished with a little bit of vinegar, with a piece of bread, made not from soft, okay, 
flower white flower it is from just crushed barley today this kind of bread is very expensive on your wife no wonder <laughs> it's good for your health <laughs> all the time we think that white bread uh, which is silky soft is good for, not good for you it's bad for your stomach bad for your health it will only make you become strong and bigger in your body and not able to be agile as you should be but that grain kind of bread is better and i think some some people now are doing it yeah wheat bread is not bad but barley is good okay and dura is also good because but it should not be soft flour it should be crushed flour that's good i don't know what they call it but there are names for it i don't know okay for his dinner sallallahu alaihi and remember three months sometimes no fire is lit in his house to cook meat he sallallahu alaihi wasallam will have for his dinner yogurt not like the american top of yogurt that big one <laughs> as big as this yogurt top of yogurt and then a piece of bread as well similar bread and if he really want to sweeten it up a little bit of honey that's it can you live in this so when you really want to follow the sunnah it's not only growing your beard <laughs> Or wearing a jubba or putting a turban in your head, eat like him. <laughs> if you can do this for a week, the best diet, I promise you. If you can do this for a week, you'll not just lose weight, you'll become more healthier. Yeah? Allah is my witness. We had a, an exhibition in my school about the Prophet Sira. We had local school coming, and I was explaining. I like children, and one of the schools, 10 years old coming, year six class, and mo- most of them are not Muslims. And they're English, Irish, Scottish, and I was explaining to them. When I was telling them of the food of the bread, they were interested. So I said to them, do you like brown bread? I said, no way. When I showed them this, what he used to eat, and I explained to them the same thing I explained to you now. Their teacher was standing, and the support teacher standing there, an old man. And they all promised me to go and try it. He, was, he said, how did you manage to convince him? <laughs> we bring a specialist in the school to try to make them eat healthier. They don't listen. But because it is linked to their spirit. You see, I was joking with them and I was taking my, I made a turban like this and I was showing them in the area where his sword and things, putting the turban on them and they were taking pictures with it. So you need to come to the people from the way that they would love to be approached. But you don't just force it. When you force it, it doesn't make sense to many of them. So here, it tells us that the main diet, okay, of Rasulullah is made of what is in the land. The milks they have from the animals, they are got the same thing. The vinegar they have from the dates, the bread they have from the land that they were cultivating, and mainly they were cultivating barley and corn. That's the idea. Very little wheat. Okay. Okay. However, the Jews were mainly in business and industry, and Qinaqa or Bani Qinaqa, who were living inside Medina, they were specialists in jewelry. Gold, silver and special stones even today whether you are in london new york johannesburg wherever the jews control this kind of market they know it very well this is their trade they understand it okay they used to have common 
currencies that they use between them in exchanging their goods, especially between Mecca and Medina. There was okay, a current understanding about that. All right? The people of Medina, they were also rich in camels. They had a lot of camels. Some cattle, okay, and some goats and sheep. But the Prophet never written about him to own a cow or a bull or a sheep. He had horses. In fact, he reported that he had ten horses. He had a mule, and he had donkeys. Inshallah, we'll talk about the Prophet belongings in one session. It's amazing because everything, every sword, every turban, every animal he had a name for. So now you can call more your mobile and name, and you can call your bag and name. That's what the Prophet used to do. Nothing wrong with it. You see? So when he's looking for something, when he gives a name, it's easier to find. You see? And it makes it easier for people who are dealing with this. Medina has two main markets at the time of the Prophet when he moved into it. Okay? The main market of Medina, okay, was the market whereby the textiles and the jewelry, okay, were sold. SubhanAllah, nothing has changed. Same thing today. You find textile, clothing and jewelry and it's always sold in the similar, okay, Calls Al-Bazazin, the market of Bazazin, Al-Bazazin, okay, Al-Bazazin, okay, Al-Bazazin, this is one of the markets, and Bazazin used to be for clothing and for perfumes as well. But the market that is famous as well for the Jews themselves, Okay, which is used to call Bani Qinaqa' for the tribe, which is mainly for gold, silver. Okay, that is. Subhanallah, people sometimes don't think yani, how civilized people in the past. They say when you travel to Yemen, they had high rise building. I saw one of the cities in Yemen when I traveled, almost. Six, seven hundred years old. It has houses made of mud, but floors, up to ten floors. When the Prophet came to Medina, Mecca was different. In Medina, they have floors. In fact, Abu Qasadir was living in a house made of three floors. Yeah? Because he was a rich man, so he bought a bigger house for himself. Okay. So that, that's the way it was. It was not, not, when you think about the Prophet moving from Mecca to Medina to a village to a small place, they didn't have anything? No. They were very civilized people and they have a better life. One of the best things that you can have in Medina, gardens. They have some of the most beautiful gardens. And even today when you travel, you find that. Okay, they have beautiful gardens in Medina. And this is also a tradition that they have learned from the people of Yemen. Because Yemen, even the Quran described, okay, the tribe that used to live in Yemen, are well established in building beautiful homes and designing them, and designing the garden that will be with those. You know there is a city that is lost and cannot be found until the, before Qiyamah. It's called Iram. Allah said in the Quran, Iram Iram 
التي لم يخلق مثلها في البلاد ايرام the city of pillars that there is no city ever before it or after it will ever look like it they say that city is the most beautiful city is built from gold silver and the most expensive materials of this earth and the man who built it one of the kings of, the, of Yemen he wanted somebody to build him a city that resembles Al-Jannah okay paradise and that is something you need to also think about okay the last thing I will read is a verse from the Quran and we finish inshallah Allah said to the Prophet أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم هو الذي أيدك بنصره وبالمؤمنين it is he Allah Almighty your Lord who supported you by giving you the victory and supported you by those who believed in the message through you وألف بين قلوبهم because of this second part and he brought them together and joined their hearts. Meaning here, Al-Aws Wal-Khazraj. So the believers in this verse, not all the believers, but the people of Medina whom we call the Ansar. وَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ Okay? لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَهُمْ لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مَا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ أَلَّفْ إِنَّهُ عَزِيزٌ I will read the translation, then I'll explain. Because sometimes there is misunderstanding. And it is better always to understand these things properly. When sometimes you hear people talk about the seerah, they say, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallam united Al-Aws Al-Khadraj. The verse says, Allah did. He maybe literally brought them and set them together and hit heads together. But the hearts were united by Allah. And there is a wisdom in this. And inshallah I'll finish. It is he Allah Almighty who supported you and with the believers the Aws and the Khazraj and he Allah united their hearts. O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam if you spent all that which is in the heaven and the earth you would never have been able to unite their hearts. However Allah did. Why? إِنَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ For he is exalted wise. So, the secret here, love and liking one another and uniting people and creating unity is never a job of the people. It's a job of Allah. You can never bring people together. As they say in English, you can take a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. You can bring people together, but you cannot join their hearts. This is exactly what Allah tells us here. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, our dearest and nearest and highest and most important in our life, was a unique man. But even in this, Allah is saying, I did. If Allah wills it, there will be a love. If Allah doesn't will it, there will not be a love. Okay? So please, let us think of this seriously and understand it. So if you have got people together to unite a family or a husband and wife or a brother and sister or an uncle and auntie, whatever, there's troubles, don't think, I am going to bring peace. 
I'm going to unite hearts. No. Always go with the intention. I'm going to hit head together. I'm going to leave it to Allah. Oh Allah, please unite their hearts. Oh Allah, please put love in their hearts. Okay? Love and Iman is only by Allah. Okay? Love and Iman is only by Allah. If Allah is switch into your heart the light of Iman, you will have Iman. If Allah dims it, you will have less Iman. If Allah increased it, you will have more Iman. If Allah stopped it, you will have no Iman. And the evidence, Rasulullah said it in many hadiths, and I cannot find the time now to speak of it, but there is a hadith to prove this. So inshallah, when we come next week, we're going to be beginning the first year of the Prophet living and sitting with those people and beginning the journey of establishing the first Islamic state that became the most important state in the history of mankind, in which justice became the most important vital component. And I mean it. Inna Allah ya'muru bil Today we are failing politically and the world is in turmoil because of one reason. There is no justice. Not because of the heavens, because of the earth, because of us. If there is no justice, there is not going to be. All this turmoil, even in, as they call it, the fairest world, the industrial world, whatever you want to call it, because there is no justice in the eyes of many people. You look at America today, subhanAllah, there are a lot of Americans, they say to you, well, we want to keep weapons because we don't trust our federal government. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe it will turn against us. Nobody will do that unless they feel there is no justice. So may Allah give us tawfiq. And may Allah give us success. And may Allah allow us to live a life of peace and dignity. Imad the books, inshallah. How are you, Sidi? I apologize. I apologize for Oxford. Please forgive me. Wallahi, I'm sitting with you here now. I'm tired. And I, 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 I need to escape to a small place. I can be having rest. Yeah? Please forgive me. I was supposed to go to Oxford. But by the time I finished my work and I came home, it was almost... Half past nine. So if I went to Oxford, I'll be there about 11. Sure, just got one question, mm. if I can ask. Um, one question? Um, can I have a copy, please? Oh. Jazakumullah khair. Yeah, I, need, I, I like this copy. Ah. Ah. Um, I wanted to know, what is the wisdom of why Allah has created Ainul? Can I ask a question? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create all tests? Whether it's a disease, whether it is uh, a problem between relationship between people, whether it is difficulty in achieving what you want, this is a test to test your faith. Allah says in the Quran, وَلَنَّبْلُوَنَّكُمْ And indeed we will test you. بِشَيْءٍ With some, not with all of it, with some. If Allah put all that, we will be destroyed. بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ Fear. وَالنَّقْصِ And reduction. Taking away those whom you love by death, reducing the wealth you have, and the belonging that you worked for to achieve. This is a test. It's a test. And because by nature our nafs is like that, some people are envious anyway and jealous. Please add, I'll be glad, I'll be glad, please add. Say it. Um, uh, there is a box in the Quran which you can uh, okay. recite whereby Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those who are muttaqi yes. to put muhabbat yes. Yes. in the other's hearts yes. is Allah's job. Yes. 
Yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it comes to love in the Quran, in a lot of verses, he tried to teach us that at the end of the day, this is the highest position you can achieve through your faith. Seriously. A believer have nothing in his heart but love to Allah and everything Allah created. I think this is what you intended. A believer will never, never have anything but love. Because at the end of the day, as the Prophet said, الخلق وعيال الله. الخلق, the human beings, are the children of God. Okay? So you cannot harm them. You cannot abuse them. You cannot oppress them. You cannot backbite them. You cannot slander them. You cannot do anything but love them. Whether they are good or bad. Okay? So at the end of the day, the more righteous people, okay, Allah put in their heart the highest of caliber of love. And Rasulullah himself, MashaAllah, the love he had in his heart, Allah described it in the Quran. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. Okay? النبي أولى بالمؤمنين من أنفسهم. Muhammad Sallam finds that the believers are more important to him than his own self. <laughs> he will die for them. He will fight for them. He will give his life for them. You cannot do that without love. That's why I always tell people, الما عنده محبة ما عنده الحبة. The one who has no love doesn't have a grain. Just a little grain. You don't have it. So if Rasulullah have that, Light and surprise when I went to Quran and I came across that is only one word yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described its relationship okay. with the rest of the creature. Okay. One is positive and other is negative. Mm-hmm. And word is the same. Okay. And that is a hope. <laughs> and the negative is lying. <laughs> Thank you. My brother is saying, yani one of the things that he benefited by studying the Quran and looking into it deeply is he found that the only word that links this creation, and especially us with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the one word and it is opposite. Okay? The word hub, love. Two letters. Two letters. Hub. Hub meaning love. Either Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put that in your heart and bestow you upon this position of being one of those good people or you are in the other side where Allah does not love. In Allah la yuhib. And find, I tell you, you are a very, mashallah, Allah bless you. When I was young, this is what I did. In fact, I went to the Quran one day. I was sitting, I was a student at that time. This is 80, maybe 81, Stratton Mosque. I, I noticed that people are always not realizing it is so easy to find things in the Quran. So I said, to make it easy, I went and wrote all the words in the Quran, or all the verses, starting with La. And I put them, I came early before Fajr, put them all over the mosque. So I said to the people, don't look at anything else. If you can keep away from those, then you will enter into the hub. And there was an old man called Hajj Ali, rahmatullah Ali. He said to me, Sheikh, you made it very easy. <laughs> because that's it. And if you notice, I give you another secret. Because you said you gave us something good for them. I give you something. 
When you reverse hub, what do you get? Buh. Buh meaning reveal. The person who has the love and knows the secret will never reveal it. Will never reveal it. Okay? Al-awliya, the awliya say, yani if you really understand us and the position we are in, please do not reveal our secret. In fact, they say, if you reveal our secret, you will be chopped off. <laughs> yeah. the, the whole thing is for you to find it yourself. Nobody can be taken. You, you have to find it yourself. Inshallah. May Allah bless you, Sidi. May Allah bless you.